Do you want to see the funniest film ever made? Guaranteed? Then you need to get down to Toronto, Canada at the Fox Theater on June 13th for the Important Cinema Club Masterpiece Classics presentation of the rarely screened Hell's a Poppin' featuring Shemp Howard. Get your ticket now at foxtheater.ca and don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime experience. Again, the funniest film you'll ever see, guaranteed. Hello, my name is Justin McClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And today we're talking about did we pick a title for this episode? Like bootleg movies or movies they don't want you to see. Yeah, I'm I'm still even at this late stage, even though I suggested this topic, kind of uncertain about the parameters of it, but that's okay. Really, my creative touchstones for this episode are twofold. One of them is do you remember Film Threat used to have a column called the bootleg files? I never read Film Threat with any regularity. Are you talking about the website? The website. And we which I also never really read with great regularity either, but like they would have a column and every week it would be a movie like Nothing Lasts Forever or Mm -hmm. Skidoo or one of those movies that, you know, you could only get in bootleg form. My other creative touchstone is over the years going to conventions or going to indie video stores and seeing the rack of DVD-Rs that you can buy, you know, burned DVDs of like the Star Wars holiday special, stuff like that. I used to work in a video store and I would stare at all the cases that I knew how the person who made them would like, what designs they would pick and stuff like that and go, I wonder why this one is not available. Like, why is this the bootleg? And I mean, even most of the video stores, rest in peace, Queen Video had a bunch of like bootleg DVDs as well. Wasn't it great? Okay, this is gonna be a nostalgic episode. Wasn't it great when you moved to Toronto and you went to these video stores that were in downtown Toronto and they had all the movies you'd ever dreamed of watching. Well, I've said this before, but when I visited my friend in Toronto for the first time on my own, I made a point of going to Suspect Video on Queen Street. Rest in peace. I love that Suspect Video so much. One of the two Suspect Videos that used to exist. Yeah, now none exists. And I made an account and I rented like 20 things that I then proceeded to burn on my port back when laptops used to have DVD players. And I spent an evening of probably the only evening I was in Toronto just burning them onto my computer because I knew that I could not buy these DVDs. And this was probably the only time I was ever going to come across them. Well, I mean, I remember I came downtown to Bay Street Video, got an account, and Bay Street Video had every movie that had basically ever been legally released. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Criterion collection. Yeah, Bay Street didn't have those like gray market copies so first of all my mind was blown by bay street video because it's like oh my god you can rent the criterion dvd of the killer you could, Did you have to put a deposit down of like $50? I remember some of those Criterion DVDs you used to have to do that. I rented Hard Boiled there and I didn't have to, but I know that if you wanted to rent Sallow, you mm. had to put down like $200. Really? Which I did not do. Wow, yeah. I remember like, oh, Hard Boiled on DVD. And they're like, well, you got to put a deposit. And my college broke ass, you know, account could not handle that kind of stuff. But then Suspect Video had all the bootlegs. And there were particular like bootleg companies. Do you remember there was one called Five Minutes to Live. Yes. And I think they're still kicking too. No, they're they're not. Their website's gone, but we don't need it anymore because they're all out. <laughs> well, you know what was the like point that I could learn about all these companies? A little magazine called Shock Cinema. Oh, man. Because when you would read the reviews, it would list which website that they got them from. Well, one that's still going is Just for the Hell of It. 
J4THL, you know, like it has an acronym. And I don't have the website in front of me now, but you can still get movies there. And they have probably all the re- remaining movies that haven't been released legally. You can get slapstick of another kind. <laughs> you can get, I don't know, what, what other, whatever other dregs of film history are there. So when you went down to these video stores, would you reach instinctively for the ones that seem like, oh, this is not supposed to be released? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know about you, but well, first of all, there were they had a huge VHS selection. So did you ever like go looking, you know, in the cupboards, all the VHSs for all the Hong Kong movies that had never been released? On I DVD? did, but I never rented any because by the time I was in Toronto, I didn't have a VCR anymore. Right. In college, sometimes I would go home on the weekend to my parents' house who still had a VCR and watch like pantyhose hero pedicab driver you know the classics Mm -hmm. but yeah the dvds like i would stumble on by accident i remember suspect had a superhero section that had you know all the normal but it also had like the turkish movies and and that blew my mind so i remember renting yeah like filipino batman which was called alias batman and robin it was a filipino like comedy film about batman you can find clips online i watched it without subtitles mm-hmm. just the whole movie from beginning to end and it must have been like peeking through a window to another dimension well yeah it's like you look at it you're like what what is th- who made this what is this and then of course you read about it later and there's a perfectly logical explanation for you know like that book how the world remade hollywood that explains the you know the background the and action, context yeah why these movies were made yeah do you think that's something that's gone now is that people aren't stumbling onto movies and going like what is this because you can just look into it and find out oh this is how it was made yeah i think people probably do stumble on movies and say what is this and then they find out immediately or you know let's be honest most people are not us or most people don't care they don't care so they'll watch something on tubi and be like i don't know what this is i will go away with the experience and that's it i don't even look into like who is this director now we're talking about like the mid 2000s 2007 maybe yeah we can't speak to like the 80s or the 90s bootleg scene i can tell you that all of those movies or 90 percent of those movies are now legally available this is the thing that when we're talking about this episode that there were like titles that would come up and we'd go oh we should talk about this no wait there's a deluxe special edition that was put out by for example vinegar syndrome or something like that i mean for me the definitive example is otto preminger's skidoo yeah that would be like forbidden fruit and i watched it you know preminger shot all those later movies in beautiful widescreen and i watched it in a horrible pan and scan probably taped off a television probably you know on a five minutes to live dvd and i liked it and i also walked through like 10 feet of snow on my way to school every day when i was a kid but if you watch it now and you just like you know streamed it somewhere you probably be like this is pretty lame (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't have that barrier of like i'm not supposed to see this and this is the only way that I can watch it. Which suited Skidoo in particular so well. Skidoo, this like aging filmmaker's embarrassing attempt to be with it, to do a groovy movie. And how will we speak to the generation? Well, of course, we'll wheel out Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx, you know, pushing 80. Jackie Gleason is going to do acid. We're going to have <laughs> Carol Channing. We're going to have Mickey Rooney. We're going to have all the children's favorites. <laughs> yep. And they're going to be having a lot of fun. I think we actually discussed it at length in our Otto Preminger episode. Oh, man. I'm getting I'm getting my appetite whetted to watch it again. <laughs> no, well, no. I mean, we did watch a you're not supposed to see this Otto Preminger film, but it doesn't even have the kind of cachet that Skidoo does. Well, I mean, Skidoo was so great as a bootleg movie because 
because it was so miscalculated and bad, it had that day the clown cried quality mm. of like, this I is need suppressed. to see this. It's, yeah. But it's suppressed. You know, the forces are working against you watching this embarrassing movie. Well, other times it's like, for example, Porgy and Bess, where at the end of the day, it's just the estate, the Gershwin estate that's like, eh, we don't want it out there. And the person who actually made the movie lost the rights and it just falls in between the cracks. Even though I will point out a lot of the films that we're talking about, hmm, it's weird that it's like kind of, you know, African-American production that seemed to get banned a lot. Well, this movie, Porgy and Bass from 1959, I mean, I guess it's it's an African-American production in the sense that it has a lot of it stars Af- African-Americans yeah, 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 yes. in it. Although I know that a number of them, notably Sidney Poitier, basically did the movie against their will. Mm-hmm. Like Sidney Poitier. <laughs> Sidney Poitier is like, I don't want to stand in this movie. That's how <laughs> little I want to make it. Sidney Poitier spends the whole movie on his knees doing a pose. Yes. And basically, reading up on the history of it, you know, based on the famous Gershwin opera, when they were making this movie, in the, even in the late 1950s, many of the actors they approached, many of the African-American actors they approached said, we don't want to do this movie. It deals in stereotypes. You know, it's a movie where many of the people are poor. Many of them are, there's drugs, there's gambling, stuff like that. Stuff that had been in popular white mainstream culture associated with black people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This movie was directed and written by white people? No. I know. I know. Crazy, isn't it? So some of the ones who were in it, did it hesitatingly or did it in Poitier's case against his will because they told him that he was, they would threaten him with a lawsuit for breaking a verbal contract. And so he said, okay, I'm going to do this as good as I can under the circumstances. But I'm not singing. Get somebody else to dub me when I sing. Both he and Dorothy Dandridge are dubbed, which is a little awkward since like 99% of the dialogue is sung. (laughs) Sidney Poitier is just there like gesticulating on the ground as like someone else's voice comes out of his mouth. (laughs) Yeah, for like two and a half hours. So the plot. We're in the fictional town of Catfish Row, where dreams are made and the devil is around the corner. Wait, sorry. I'm squinting at the copy that I have. That's where we are, town? (laughs) Oh my God. So. So this movie is one of the things that's interesting about this movie. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because in this day and age, it's unique. Not only has it not been legally released, like the version we're watching is cut too. Yeah, that's right. The version we watch is not, it's not the, which fine cut more, cut more, cut more. (laughs) The version we watched, not only is it cut, it's widescreen, but it looks like it was taped off TV from an umpteenth generation VHS dupe of a 16 millimeter print. For people that may not know what the words will just said is that in VHS, VHS, when you would copy one VHS to another, you would lose a generation, so the quality would get worse. And this looks like, again, like Will said, 10 copies were made, losing a generation each time. Very faded looking. The colors do not pop. Sometimes you got to squint to be like, okay, which which guy is which here? (laughs) And what's funny about that is this is a big budget musical. It's supposed to be, it had a roadshow presentation. So Porgy, played by Sidney Poitier, he's a disabled beggar bass is drug addicted they're all living under the thumb of sporting life who is the devil played by sammy davis jr having a ball of a time i think you know sammy he's the best of the rat pack Mm. what can i say (laughs) yes probably i don't need to get into the plot anymore it's the kind of machinations the moral choices that these people make especially at the end of the day me and will watch it and have the same reaction which is like we like our musicals when they you know dance and have fun and stuff like that i mean in fairness we watch like the worst looking version but you know putting on my oh tourist cat my my preminger you know my french 
critic hat. I could definitely see it's got all the Preminger visual stuff. It's mm. got these long, long shots where everybody's arranged in the frame and Preminger with his camera doesn't particularly editorialize or doesn't particularly like direct your eye or tell you tell you what to think or where to look. You know, the whole advise and consent style that he was developing at would that time. Would I turn down a screening of this movie if it played in the cinema like tomorrow? No, I would probably go see it. Is it mostly based because it never plays? Yes, that's why I would go see it. Right. If this movie were as available as like Bonjour Tristesse is, would you go see it? I think it was made the same year, like right around it. Yeah, I've seen Bonjour Tristesse. I don't like that movie. So no. It's funny. I don't think the Premin- that classic Preminger style really suits a musical. I mean, he had done it before as Carmen Jones as well. It looks like you're just looking at a, at a stage. Mm-hmm. Sure is a wide screen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and we're probably not even watching it at the widest it could be in this German DVD version I believe again duped from a vhs Mm. from now the reason that this movie isn't widely available porgy and bess i believe is because the gershwin estate won't let it be released that's right that they were not pleased with the way that it came out to which i say huh like i'm sure there's a million bad gershwin adaptations out there and that for them to target this one specifically is a little odd Maybe they didn't get paid or something like that, which I, at the end of the day, that's what most of these like, they don't want you to see it comes down to is that, you know, someone sued someone else as opposed to like, oh, this is so extreme or there's stuff in here that you don't want to see. That's why we can't release it. More oftentimes it's like, oh, they don't want to pay the rights to the music, which is why this movie can't come out. Well, you know, one of the reasons why the day the clown cried was never released is because Jerry's producer didn't actually have the rights to the screenplay before they started filming it. Yep. And then the producer skipped town. Jerry threw a bunch of his own money to keep the company afloat. And then when he showed the the rough cut to the screenwriters, they said, absolutely not. (laughs) We're not allowing this to be released. To which I say, fuck you, people. (laughs) Yeah. You are the enemies of art. Again, if the day the clown cried would be out, it would be like, okay, late period, Jerry. Like you have life is beautiful. You can watch that uh, and just imagine no, Jerry at the no, center no, 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 of it. No, listen, Roberto Benigni is not a great artist. He's no Jerry? Roberto Benigni did not make The Ladies' Man. Roberto Benigni scene. did not make Cracking Up. Rob, Ro- Roberto Benigni episode on the docket. Here we go. <laughs> Painful. <laughs> You're going to come back and be like, you know what? Roberto Benigni is the equal to Jerry Lewis. So can you tell me what are some of the classic movies? What are some of your definitive bootleg movies in your head? And I'm sure that these movies have all been released later. You know what's funny about bootlegs is when I think of that, what comes to mind is mm, going to Chinatown. <laughs> because when you would go, it would be very rare that you would find legitimate releases. And as youngings going in, we wouldn't know at first like that we're not buying real DVDs. Well, they're in a store. Yeah. Yeah. And they're huge. And like five for $20. What a deal. <laughs> wow. Those Chinese and Hong Kong movies, they just go real quick. They got slip covers. They even have like the labels printed on. Hey, These wait. have to be official. How come my copy of Drunk Master 2 has the plot synopsis for Terminator 2 on the yeah. back. Or why, wait, Hugh Jackman is in God of Gamblers 2? That's a little weird. Yeah, yeah. So my my old Chinatown copy of Drunken Master 2, it had the plot of Terminator 2 and it had the cast from Inner Space. <laughs> Inner Space. <laughs> Inner Space, yeah. That rules. I would have so much fun going to those stores, especially at the Pacific Mall, which I recently learned Will has never been to. I've never been to Pacific Mall. Wow, and I don't think they have DVD stores there anymore. And I would just grab as much as I could because I had no other 
way to access it unless I saw it on like Omni 2 at like 11 p.m. at night. What were some of the classic ones that you got in Chinatown? I remember I got so many Stephen Chow films, Wong Jing films. The way that they would be organized in these stores is oftentimes by actor. So you could go and be like, all right, give me all these Stephen Chow. Give me all these Chow Young fats. I remember that. I remember Jackie had a shelf, you Mm -hmm. know. And so like I had gigantic piles of those, which I got to say over the years, I mostly got rid of. I mean, same. Yeah, I'm not going to watch these. I do treasure some of the real ones that I would get. There was a store in Ottawa. I, I don't know how my dad found it, but we went and I remember buying Storm Riders on VCD, the official version of Shallon Soccer on DVD. Well, going to Suspect Video, again, this is when YouTube was sort of early on and they had a lot of stock from before YouTube was a thing. So Five Minutes to Live as a company would, and other bootleg companies would put out like DVD compilations of every appearance that like Andy Kaufman made on David Letterman. Mm. Now you can just queue that up on YouTube. But like I have two DVDs of Andy Kaufman on Fridays. Fridays was the Saturday Night Live ripoff show where he was on it twice. The first episode, there was this... I think it turned out to be a, a stunt later, you know, later on, but it was like he refuses to do the sketch midway through and he and Michael Richards start to have a fist fight. <laughs> That's really funny. Michael Richards just can't control his temper, you know? <laughs> no, you can't. And then a couple months later... Andy Kaufman was trying to warn us. Yeah. A couple months later, Andy Kaufman comes back and he says, you know, I've done a lot of learning and growing since that that last episode I was on and uh, I'm, I'm a Christian now. <laughs> he brings out his wife, quote unquote, and they do 10 minutes of like Bible singing. <laughs> That's really funny. And then, and then later on, later on in the show, I can't remember what band it is, but like there's a punk band and they're very famous and I forget who they are. They're about to do the musical, la- the musical guest and Kaufman says, now before they come out, I just want to say, you know, that last sketch had a lot of drug use in it. And I'm really, you know, I really want to tell you people that drugs are not the answer. And he keeps going on. And then the curtain opens. He's like, no, no, no. Close the curtain. Close the curtain. One more thing about drugs. And then they don't get to the music. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then, great. And, you know, when you get that, I don't know, I, I'm not saying the golden the old days were golden but when you get it on like a bootleg dvd again it, it's like how, where else would i see this yeah and it's like does anyone else know about this like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now literally you would type andy kaufman fridays and there'd be like 70 links coming up on youtube you know even the early days of youtube you remember being like this hong kong film part one and then it'd be broken up into oh, 10 yeah. parts oh yeah that's how i first watched jerry lewis in three on a couch i watched it 10 parts all of them very bad looking on mm-hmm. youtube and so some of the movies though that you see in bootleg form you look at it and you go why isn't this one out for example enzo g castellari's the last shark well this is an interesting one the last shark from 1981 also known as great white one of many jaws ripoffs there were so many jaws ripoffs Oh, yeah. And but this one is different than all the others in that it made money. (laughs) That's right. It made 18 million dollars domestically at the box office, which is quite a bit of money for, you know, an independent film at the time or now. And Universal was like, wait, 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 wait. What the hell is this? So they successfully got an injunction to bullshit to prevent theatrical release. Universal wanted to do that for Joe Dante's Piranha as well. But famously, Steven Spielberg himself stepped in. Yeah, because he watched it and said, I like this movie. Don't do it. He said it's funny. Can you imagine if Piranha had an injunction against it? That's ridiculous. I don't I don't think they could get away with it with Piranha. It's not even the same animal. (laughs) But even the last shark like yes do they rip off a lot of stuff from Jaws I mean specifically Jaws 2 a lot from Jaws 2 to the movie's detriment I think. 
think. I think it should have just stuck with the, the Jaws. Yeah. yeah. You but, want Vic Moreau like dressed as Quint, drunk on screen. <laughs> that's right. Or James Franciscus as Roy Scheider, basically. Yeah, the movie you know, this is one that almost famously, I always get it and go, I'm going to watch this. Maybe watch five minutes and go, eh, I get distracted by something else. I'm like that with Bruno Matai's Cruel Jaws. Yes. <laughs> well, Cruel Jaws also uses footage, though, from the Jaws movie. Cruel Jaws quite literally stole footage and Universal recently. Yes. Locked down Severin from selling copies. That's right. Severin released it and Universal successfully suppressed the further distribution. of. I it. would love the discussion that happened at Severin. They're like, are we doing this? We're doing this. Who's going to care about the fact that a there's movie Jaws footage? 30 yet? years old at this point. To which I said a Universal. Boo! Screw you. Let them do it. Who cares? Now, I think The Last Shark, also known as Great White by the great Enzo G. Castellari. Of Inglorious Bastards fame. Tons of Euro crime films as well. Now, th- this movie has also been released by various people. Yeah, so this is one of those that you're technically not supposed to be able to watch it. But I think it's specifically in North America that's the case. Because we watched a Blu-ray version that was taken off like an Italian broadcast that someone had added in the English dub. Now, Rift Tracks has also put it out. They've, no, they've, really? They've done a version. Wow. I, I can't imagine they paid. No, there's no way. Rift Tracks is, you know, they're skating that line, too, of like, hey, if somebody asks us to take it down, we'll take it down. Is it still accessible to this day on their website? I think it is, yeah. Oh, they okay. also did the Star Wars Holiday Special. All right, so they're, they're doing that kind of stuff. Did you watch the Star Wars Holiday Special at any point in time? Yeah, I've seen it several times, yeah. Out of, like, just horrified curiosity? I I, I kind of like it. I don't know. Here's the thing about the Star Wars ho- holiday special. It's so long. I know. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. But if you catch me in just the right kind of holiday mood, I can get in the spirit of it. Yeah. I mean, be Arthur at the canteen, mm-hmm. you know, to say goodbye, friends. <laughs> Watching like VR Wookiee porn for like 20 uh, minutes. Yeah, like Ch- Chewie's nephew or whatever, like jacking off to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jefferson Starship and or whatever. staring at poor Mark Hamill being like, he was just in, a, in an accident and you can see all the makeup caked on his face <laughs> but yeah i mean that is i'm shocked disney has not stepped in and been like hey we're putting it on disney plus it's a joke here you go for me the only explanation is that george lucas at when he sold the property must have had certain specifications you know what is online and that disney plus recently put on is the nelvana animated segment that is in that special the you can watch, fat one yeah you can watch it on disney plus where everyone in that classic nelvana style is like they're too animated the way they move and they look that's interesting that's kind of like how like brayer rabbit is still part of the disney family but like song of the south oh yeah i would love to know the methodology of that other than like we love the song zippity doodah yes and we want to implement it in the parks in a big ride splash mountain well not anymore they're changing it up zippity doodah was on all the like kid songs videos i had when i was a kid Mm -hmm. you know the follow the bouncing ball songs this disembodied song from like hey can i watch this movie no i'll find myself just humming that song in the middle of the day out of nowhere because it's so catchy i'll be like god damn it yeah you'll be thinking god damn it you know the south the rise again had a perfect ecosystem before some carpetbaggers from the north came down and just wanted to just get everyone all riled up so we talked about the context around the last shark we also watched oh it, yeah to which i say hey yeah whatever i kind of liked it i don't know uh, you know what it's There's boring a big fake shark in it that yeah. you see a lot of well yeah he go castellari definitely goes against the spielberg dictum of like Show the shark as little as possible. Well, you know that Steven Spielberg, and this is the famous story, that originally in the script, the shark was supposed to like pop 
out of the water in the first scene and like grab the woman in its mouth and then you know the shark's not working etc cetera, etc cetera. we're led to the masterpiece that we have today but in this movie i mean the best scene in the movie the one that single-handedly gives the movie a thumbs up for me is the guy hanging on the helicopter rope ladder yep, and the, the shark, shark jumps, jumps out tears off his bottom the bottom half of his body you know and yeah big fake shark puts you know I, I i like this shark a little better than bruce honestly and what's really funny about this movie too is that like big fake shark they have them in the water can move its mouth it can grab onto boats when it blows up it's the tiniest little fake shark model <laughs> exploding and i want to say that like i've been angry before when people have insulted miniatures this is the most miniature miniature you've ever seen like no attempt to try to make it look realistic in any way to which i say good yeah so i kind of like the last shark because it's this bizarre mix of you know it's a little dreamlike i mean it has all the stuff from jaws it has if you just take any like still photo of the movie it looks like a photo from jaws but it has that mid-atlantic italian like strangeness like the tone is all over the place the acting is kind of all over the place the violence is much more more heavy than Mm -hmm. in jaws so yeah it just kind of feels like i I would like to like press play on this movie and tell someone they're watching jaws who didn't really know what they were in for (laughs) or like jaws 4 Like, oh, I've never seen Jaws 4 before, as I believe it was called in places like Japan, probably called like Jaws Revenge or something like that. All these Jaws ripoff movies were called like Jaws 3 somewhere. What are the copyright laws in Germany where they can call like every movie King Kong? Like, and King Kong's not even in it. It's a Godzilla movie. That's fucked up. I mean, Lucio Fulci's Zombie was released in Italy as Zombie 2. As Zombie 2 because Dawn of the Dead was released as Zombie and and the courts decided that you can't trademark the word zombie. Mm -hmm. So you can call your movie Zombie 2. There was no zombie one. And I'm sure that zombie three follows on its heels perfectly and is a continuation of that story. That's right. Zombie three, which is actually zombie two. And don't forget, there's zombie four as well. And then there's zombie five, Killing Birds, which features almost no zombies. Now, as we continue on this discussion, I'll say a few movies that are still tied up in litigation that are still in the bootleg realm. I mean, so many of Andy Warhol's films, this is something that I also commonly associate with like the bootleg shelf. Mm. Stuff like Chelsea Girls. Obviously, the Warhol estate, the Warhol Museum still owns this material and like does restorations of it, but it's not it's not easily available, certainly not on disc form. There are certain like very famous movies that can't be released officially because somebody or some company owns the rights to them and cannot be reasoned with or cannot mm. be reached. Well, that's a case with Dawn of the Dead for a long time in that like the producer of the film like won't let it get like the big special edition in North America because he's still holding on that Dawn of the Dead 3D re-release he's been working on for 15 years. That's right. He invested so much money in Dawn of the Dead 3D and you can't you can't stream that movie anywhere. Mm-mm. Kevin Smith's Dogma is personally owned. Oh yeah, that's right. It's personally owned by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah, Yeah. because Harvey Weinstein bought that movie back from Disney and released it himself. So I understand that people in the in the Kevin Smith team have made offers to Harvey or his people or his people basically of upwards of like five hundred thousand dollars. And he wants like millions for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the movie's worth that much, right, Will? I well, if I had if I had ten million dollars, imagine I'd, that you came onto some money and you bought Dogma from Harvey Weinstein. That would that would fucking rock. I mean, 
mean, I wouldn't want to give money to Harvey Weinstein, obviously, but he's going to die in prison. And I, I think it'd be funny to own Dogma and then not release it. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't release it? <laughs> yeah. You'd only, you'd be like a traveling roadshow showing Dogma, like in a tent? I'll just keep it to myself. Oh, okay. Hard Boiled and The Killer. Mm, Those yes. are owned by some company. Yes, a Hong Kong company that's basically doesn't do movie releases anymore. And anyone who's tried to reason with them, they're like, nah, we're not interested. It's too much work. Likewise, The Heartbreak Kid by Elaine May. Yeah, it's owned by like a pharmaceutical company, I believe, right? Yeah, a pharmaceutical company that simply will not answer the emails. <laughs> That's wild. I don't know what it would take. Like, does Steven, a million dollars, Does I Steven bet. Spielberg himself have to intervene? Like, does Martin Scorsese have to get in there? What would it take? Does Jeff Bezos have to call? Like, I mean, I don't think Jeff Bezos. <laughs> he doesn't care, but I'm no. just saying, like, is that what it would take? Someone of his level. You know what movies are in that gray zone and can't be released? A lot of Orson Welles' stuff. Well, increasingly, they have been released. I Give mean, me the rough cut of the deep. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, there are, there are certain of his unfinished movies, like, I mean, Don Quixote is the most famous example. Well, it got completed at its full power by Mr. Jess Franco. <laughs> Jess Franco, who had access to maybe 40% of the footage. Oh, that's all he had? Something like that. And then he expanded it with footage from a TV show that Wells made called In the Land of Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a <laughs> mishmash of stuff. All right, let's give it to Jess Franco. He was a close collaborator with Wells on such films as Chimes at Midnight. Do you want to look into what he's done since then? Nah, 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 we're good. We're good. Just give it to him. You can edit it and put it together. No respect for a little movie called Killer Barbies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And but a lot of those Wells movies, those uncompleted ones, Don Quixote is the quintessential example because his partner Oya Kodar owns some of the footage, various institutions own other parts of the footage, some other people own parts of the footage, and I mean to get the other side of the wind out of that kind of... Oh, what a nightmare that took, must have been. It, it took decades and millions of dollars from Netflix to That was the only liberate. company that could liberate it. Yeah, And they've yeah. never done anything like that ever again. <laughs> they learned <laughs> their lesson. Yeah, we didn't make enough money off of that bad boy. Also, Todd Salance's happiness. Oh, I didn't know that was trapped in that limbo. Which is funny, because I see a lot of people watching it these days. I think just because, I mean, bootlegs are easy now. You can find the torrents anywhere. You can find it on archive.org. Hey, let's not forget one of the great bootleg movies that will never be released, Superstar. The Karen Carpenter story. Not the classic SNL film. Very (laughs) easily accessible. Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, which is, of course, Todd Haynes' first film, his short film that enacts the life of Karen Carpenter using Barbie dolls. And the reason it won't be released is because he used all of the Carpenter's music and the Carpenter family saw it and <laughs> no. the Museum of Modern Art owns the negative of that oh, film. Oh, really? Wow. But they own it on the grounds that like they have an agreement that they can never show it. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, so you might you might as well not own it. I mean, But wait, can I see it? Yeah, very easily. Just type Superstar Karen Carpenter story into Google. You will find links of that movie out there. Same with Robert Frank's documentary of the Rolling Stones, Cocksucker Blues. Right. Which, as no less than Mick Jagger said, it's a beautiful fucking film, Robert, but if it ever plays in America, they won't let us back in the country. But it played in America. We can see it now. It's like, who cares? Well, yeah. And I mean, for years, the rule, it was able to be proven in the courts in some way that Robert Frank had maybe facilitated that airplane orgy scene that Mm. happened. He sort of uh, induced it to happen. Oh, yeah. The Rolling Stones would usually never (laughs) engage in such lewd behavior. Yeah, those groups 
groupies and roadies really needed a lot of a lot of pushing to mm-hmm. like do drugs and have sex on camera. But the agreement that was come to was the movie could screen once a year with Robert Frank himself in person. I remember playing in TIFF with Robert Frank in person. There you go. But again, this is another movie that you can just look online. It's very easily accessible. So you watched, and I didn't, and I feel really bad about it, but you watched Abby. What is Abby? Abby is a exorcist ripoff but in this case it's an all-black cast and i gotta say it's pretty good wow yep now this was released by american international pictures it was and it was shut down by warner brothers and i gotta say they don't have a friggin' case this movie it's an exorcism movie are there some scenes that are similar to the exorcism yes but they seem to have just kind of locked down on it because one, it was making money, which is why it would get on their radar, and two, it was small enough that they could crush it. Because there were so many Exorcist movies that were being released around this time, 1974. And this one, it's like, again, an all-black cast. It's not a little girl. It's a woman, and she's the one that gets possessed. Right there, it should be tossed right out of court. Well, obviously, American International Pictures, who were in the business of making money, said, okay, we can spend X amount of money litigating this all the way up to the Supreme Court, or we can cut our losses right now and lose, I don't know, not very much money. Like William Girdler, the director of this, would then turn around and make Grizzly, which is such a bald face Jaws ripoff that just happens to have a grizzly bear in it instead. And this is one of those movies that is very surprisingly unavailable in any good quality. I've heard of 16 millimeter prints floating around of this bad boy, but this film, if you want to watch it, you're just going to find a real 10th generation VHS full screen copy of it, which is a real shame. I feel like we're a couple years away from Vinegar Syndrome being like, Abby's coming out on Blu-ray. Like, it has to happen eventually, right? Well, I don't know. I mean... If it hasn't happened now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to locate the elements, and mm. who, kn- who knows if they've Just been... do a 16 millimeter scan of a print. That's all we want. What the choices are that you have nothing or that you have a copy scanned from a beat up 16 millimeter print. I know what choice I would make. My hero, by the way, is Damon Packard, who makes movies that well, like unreleasable legally cannot be released he will just use footage from mainstream movies we'll use footage from and music from the most popular movies and we'll just release them on like dvdrparty.com mm. or on torrents or you know paul schrader doing his bootleg version of dying of the light and then just dropping it on a torrent site and he's like just watch it you know they wouldn't let me edit it so i did my own version these are my heroes yeah absolutely i mean i watched as well a bruce exploitation film big boss 2 in i think it was only 40-ish minutes it has been recently unearthed in that form and you know, you go towards it because you're like, whoa, I can't see this anywhere. Wow. And you're watching. You're like, yeah, it's not good. So, yeah, years ago, I saw the trailer for Big Boss 2. It was on some website. And what I remember about the trailer is the narrator says in this very unenthusiastic voice, if you enjoyed the Big Boss, you will enjoy the Big Boss 2 even more. <laughs> and the thing about this movie is that I don't believe it was like legally taken down or like blocked by any particular court. It was mostly just like, eh, no one really cares. No one right? cares. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that the ultimate, the thing that really consigns most movie movies to dust? Now, what, what exactly, because of course I haven't seen it. What exactly happens in the Big Boss 2? Is it connected really with the first one? Oh God, I don't, listen, I watched it and I was like, I don't know what's going on. It was like, how did it, how did it look? Oh, 
awful. A tape screen with half of the subtitles cut off as you're watching. I mean, the worst I've ever watched a movie was Roger Watkins' Spittoon. Oh, what did that one look like? I mean, also taped off a screen. Mm -hmm. like Probably out of focus, no colors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, we're getting to the point that, like, people don't really have to watch these movies anymore. And I wonder if this is, like, a feeling or a quest that people don't take anymore as well because you don't have to watch these movies that way. But I do think that, like, just the human nature of wanting to see see things that are not available, that continues to push people to check this kind of stuff out. I also think that just the way things are, like, the, the myth of constant availability is is just that. It is a myth. It is. And as we're seeing it literally be nuked by the people who paid for the shows that are on their service and that are just gone now. Yeah. And so, like, there are tons of things that just, like, fall, fall out. Like, I don't know, the fact that well, Happiness or I Shot Andy Warhol aren't available on streaming because someone owns them who doesn't care. Will, I know that you're a huge Willow fan, the classic Ron Howard film. Do you know that Disney Plus series that came out? They wrote it off and it's gone from their service. Is so, it available? Can you, can you like get it on iTunes or something? I don't know. I'm going to assume no because it's a Disney Plus property. Like they paid for it. So maybe in another territory, but it's so funny that it's just gone. Wow. And it came out last year, I think. So the shelf life for this because they looked around and went, wait, Warner Brothers can do this? They can just mark it off as a loss? We're going to do this too. Awful. Horrible. And 10 years from now, people will be passing around a bootleg of the Willow TV show being like, (laughs) oh, you got to see this. Oh, we didn't even mention one of the most famous genre band things, the Fantastic Four movie that Roger Corman made. Fantastic Four, the 90s one, which was created only to hold on to the rights to the characters and was never meant to be released. But the directors, stars, other film people that worked on it did not know that was the case. Tragic. Tragic. Oh my God. And I believe the elements of that are gone. Like they don't exist, the negatives. They would have scanned them, put them out in some form and they're just gone. And I think some people are working on like a 4K remaster from the like doopy VHS footage, which I say, good luck, follow your passions. So after recording, we break into the Warner vaults and we get the Batgirl movie. (laughs) The what? Batgirl movie? Yeah, Yeah. Batgirl. (laughs) The people demand it. Yeah. But first you have to watch all of the Batgirl TV show before you get to watch a Batgirl movie. No, thanks. All right. You know what? It can stay tied up in the vault then. I I feel like we only scratch the surface of all of these, like, you know, you can't see a movie. So jump on the Discord. Talk about it. I'd like to know what people's, like, holy grails are in that way. Okay. I'm going to give three more. Three more classic movies that you can't get anywhere except in bootleg form. John Waters' Mondo Trasho. Really? Because it was a silent movie, wall-to-wall music from his record collection, Ah, including We're Off to See the Wizard. (laughs) Okay. So it would take actually millions of dollars to clear the music rights to that. Multiple Maniacs only got released because Criterion paid the bill for Mm. its music soundtrack. Nobody's going to do that for Mondo Trasho, probably. Maybe Criterion will. I woke up early the day I died. Yes, that's true. Did I I even think, did I get a proper VHS release? Because we watch a VHS copy of it. It got a, I think, German release or something because there are certain intertitles on the bootleg version that are in another language. But that was one where the company went out of business deeply in debt. And I think you might have to pay off a debt or something to get the movie. And nobody cares. Really? I feel like, again, if a company's going to pay for it, it's going to be someone like Vinegar Syndrome. Because they'll be like, Ed Woods, you know, and not his last film. He didn't direct it. It's just one of his scripts. But never before seen since it played at... Midnight Madness. That's I right. remember that. I think it might have played a day in New York or something. Yeah, like, that's it. Something Before really short. Finally, very strange that this hasn't come out, even though, I mean, it's bad. 
but there's so much fervor around the director. David Lynch's show on the air. Have you ever seen any episodes of that? Yeah, that was his show that followed Twin Peaks. He also made it with Mark Frost, and it was about like a radio kind of a station, right? Quite quite comedic. Not in the tone of Twin Peaks. It's not what people wanted. Quite abrasive as well. That's weird it hasn't come out. I feel that sounds like it's maybe, you know, David Lynch saying, eh, don't put that out. Oh, and Bob Dylan's Ronaldo and Clara. I don't even know what that is. What's that, Will? That was this long, rambling, four-hour, arty, poetic concert film that he made during the Rolling Thunder review in the late 70s. Concert footage mixed with documentary footage mixed with artsy stuff where he plays a character and Joan Baez plays a character and I mean it's a nightmare I mean look I've seen it multiple times I've only seen it once actually I mean what happened what happened was Martin Scorsese took all the concert footage and made Rolling Thunder Review which feels kind of like the Dylan estate going and I don't know if it was Dylan himself directing it being like okay that was an embarrassment but we can make some money off this footage and I just you know if Bob's listening I just want to tell him like can we get a remaster like you know, for the heads, let's get Ronaldo and Clara back. Us fans, we'll, apolo- we'll be apologists for anything. Mm. So, again, drop in on the Discord, become a Patreon subscriber, share your favorite titles, or maybe some people will be sharing links to where they you can find them. Not that I approve of that. Do we have any letters? We do have letters. As per usual, you can send us letters at importantcentralclubpodcast at gmail.com. And this one is from Luke, and he goes, Hey, Justin and Will, it was great meeting you guys at the Moturn Extravaganza. My wife and I spoke to Will about how your podcast got us into both Matt Farley and Jess Franco. I think you remember this, right? Because yeah, you mentioned yes. it afterwards. I mean, Jess Franco is a very dangerous path to go down because if you start collecting the Blu-rays, as yeah. I have, it will destroy your home. It will, <laughs> your life. It will take up every spa- all the space you have. Your relationships will crumble. But I'm glad you're into it. Yeah, because I think it's his wife that said, oh yeah, you got my husband in a Jess Franco. <laughs> <laughs> the letter continues. We also quickly chatted. Why with- did you have to order Fall of the Eagles? <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even the deluxe edition, I'm sure it's at some point down the pike. We also quickly chatted with Justin, though as he was entering his fourth hour of filming, we thought we'd better keep it brief. Looking forward to the concert documentary, by the way. I was wondering what non-film artist you guys are currently excited by or obsessed with. I've been flying through Cormac McCarthy's books lately, and I've also been reading about his life and influences, which is something I usually only do with filmmakers. Also, do either of you have a secondary art outside of writing and film that you spend much time on? Most of my art school friends have a casual art that they did not train in and can do without worrying if they are not any good at it. Maybe Will does pottery. Perhaps Justin DJs warehouse parties. Anyways, thanks for the many hours of excellent podcasting, Luke. P.S. Please do a William Wellman episode. I do love William Wellman. I love William Wellman. Why don't you start, Justin? What are you, what are you into? Uh, on the second question of what do I like that's not movie related, I like biking a lot. Just got a new bike, really cheap one, so if it gets stolen, I won't be like, no! So that is one of my main passions. I've been really getting into manga recently, mostly because I do it when I exercise on a bike. I'm on a big exercise health problems people so i can plow through that and there's so much of it and as i talk about on the very fine combo podcast what's great about it as well is that our local libraries have tons of access to it so like if i want the next book i'll check and i'm only reading the popular baby brain stuff and i go oh yeah they have it i can read naruto volume 29 thank you please send it to me at no charge what do you do that's not movie related will well gosh i mean lately i've been getting back into i've always been 
interested in, but I've been kind of getting into a lot of like old time radio. Mm. Like I've been reading this great book about Jack Benny called Jack Benny and the Golden Age of American Radio Comedy by Catherine Fuller Seeley, which came out in 2017. And I'm grateful that a book about Jack Benny and his radio and TV shows came out that late because I mean, nobody, nobody cares or remembers Jack Benny anymore, but his career represents a very rich object of study. I mean, he was a star for like 30, 40, 50 years. And it's the kind of career that would benefit from a contemporary analysis from the racial dimension of the Rochester character and what that meant to what Benny's kind of masculinity or or lack thereof represented in American society at that time. So I've, I've also been enjoying listening to old radio shows because I find it gentle and soothing to fall asleep to. Don't need sourness and spice in everything I listen to and consume. Yeah, like ironic and like sarcastic. Yeah, sometimes I just like some like lame jokes and some lame mysteries. And you want to hear like the audience laughing in the background. It's like a warm blanket. I want you to get like really hardcore into radio and like get like a set, like an old school refurbished one. I I would love that. Yeah. You can still plug your phone into it and then it plays through it, but you get that crinkly sound out. I'm certain those exist. You're so great. And I mean, you know, what can I say? I love visual art. I mean, anytime I go anywhere, I want to go to an art gallery. I always love seeing what they have. And and by the way, I have, I I am. Do you collect visual art? I mean, not original. In in a very low level Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. I mean, I have a few prints, a few, a few things, but like not, you know, I'm not, it's, that's expensive. (laughs) Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. It's like the very few vinyl that I collect, which is like, I can't get too deep into this. This is another hobby that is way too much, a whole other can of worms. And I'm very musically baby brain. So yeah, I don't need to go into that too much stuff. The, the one thing of art that I have that is of, that is of value. I have only one and I have a Drew Friedman. You do have a Drew Friedman? Wow. Of what? Joe Dorita of the Apes, the comic. Oh, that must have been so expensive. You don't need to say the price on here. But. First of all, Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it's the only time I've ever, like, I saved money. Yeah. You know, I... Did you see it? Like, so was it auction? How was it sold? I found it, like, on a website where it didn't sell. And I reached out to him and I said, what, you know, let's say th- this artwork means so much to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what would it take? And, you know, I found a way to make it work. Wait, was that recently? I, I think if I had visited, you would have pointed out in a frame and I would have been like... It was it was, it was was a, l- a little while ago. Okay. But, like, next time you're over, I'll show you. <laughs> oh, man. Is it up on the wall? Yes. In a major place, I hope. Of course, when you of walk course. By, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. do you have your curly Joe Dorita like hallway yet? Because you got his boxers. <laughs> you got uh, gonna his turn, stationery. I'm going to turn my home into a curly, curly Joe, Joe Dor- <laughs> museum. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that museum that opened about the silent film star in, I don't remember what small town. Oh, I'm, um, there's a Marie Dressler museum. Mm, which not I, anymore. It's now it's the Museum of Women and Film. Which, which yeah, probably makes that sense. probably makes sense. <laughs> it is in Marie Marie Dressler's actual home. That's in Oshawa. No, it's not in Oshawa. It's in, I forget where it is. We should visit that. We never actually went and visited. I think, the, yeah, the pandemic got in, in the way. Mm-hmm. But I still have that Marie Dressler book I picked up from BMV. I think you picked up the same one. Yep, Gathering Dust. Yep. We should do a Marie Dressler episode. Marie Dressler's tough, though. Like, even reading the book, it's like, oh, you really had to be there. Even though she di- she was the star of a film that Charlie Chaplin was a supporting player in. Okay, tell you what. Sometime this summer, okay, on a Saturday, we'll, we'll go to the 
museum. We'll go to the museum, and if we can get ourselves hyped up enough, we do a Marie Dressler episode. Sounds great to me. So yeah, anyway, last thing I would say about art is I am not an expert. I love all art. I mean, <laughs> like, like honestly, you take me to a museum, you know. Yeah, what, what do you, like, go towards? Like, what, what are your artists of choice? So, okay, what I go towards, honestly, is, like, modern and contemporary. Yes, because that would put you, like, in, because you like the pop art, right? So, I like, love Warhol art. onwards. I love that. I love, like, you know, Cy Twombly shit. Like, I love Give minimalist me sculpture. Car- Caravaggio. I'm not even saying that right. Okay, but the thing is, I love that stuff, too. I mean, I, I love... good ones in Toronto, too, that, like, you're like, oh, look at that. I mean, when you go to the Art Gallery of Ontario, I mean, I love the medieval stuff. Honestly, mm-hmm. you look love at that those, like, stuff. really intricately sculpted little, like, like those little, I don't know, what would you call them? Those, those tiny little sculptures. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Where you look at them and you're like, how did you engrave something this complicated? Mm. Yeah, that's how we, we're, we, we appreciate it. Like, golly, how did they do that? <laughs> but we can still appreciate that, it in ex- that way. Exactly. That, that is my level of art appreciation. Yes. And I love it. Do I have a book about the history of art literally sitting, collecting dust on the coffee table in the living room? Of course I do. And uh, by the way, I'm glad you said something fitness related. That's something I should get into. <laughs> Biking, man. Once I discovered, wait a minute, we have a stationary bike that I can sit and read on and still like change the like uh, settings of how hard it goes as you go along actually indicated by when I finish a chapter or two I go all right it's time to turn it up time to turn it down changed everything for me I need new running shoes that's my that's my excuse for why I haven't, oh, yeah. haven't been out running just go get running shoes yeah. so I spent uh, all my money on that Drew Friedman thing. <laughs> <laughs> could you have proven to Drew Friedman you're like I am the biggest curly Joe arena fan <laughs> you should give this to me i'll pay you a dollar for it yeah and he's like well you know what i love a fan here you go shows up himself to hand it off to you yeah so thank you very much for that letter as per usual you can send us letters in point center club podcast at gmail.com and on our patreon this week we're doing what we did last month we're just talking about what we've been watching recently yeah we're talking about we're having a jam session we're having a riff session we're going to talk about some of the weirdest some of the wildest movies you've ever heard of <laughs> i'm selling it justin unlike you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think people like just listening to just what people are watching. Hang out with the boys. Mm-hmm. Find out what we've been watching and maybe, maybe have your life change. Will we pause it and like, okay, pause it here. You talk. And then when we restart, we'll be like, oh, that's a great movie. I haven't seen that. I need to check it out. So you feel like you're part of the conversation. That's right. And yeah, you can pause it. You can tell us what you've been watching. Yeah. Don't send it to us, though. Oh, please don't. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Just say it out loud. I don't care. <laughs> yes. Actually. Here's the thing. That thing you recommended, we know of it. We've watched it. We don't like it. <laughs> but hey, what I'll just say is the, the character I play does care. Yeah. There so, you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not Justin, though. Justin comes uncut. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's not true. Anyway, so what are we doing next week on the podcast, Will? Well, I'm not someone who always wants to like chase every ambulance. Somebody who's always, you know, at the cemetery. <laughs> we say that every time we chase an ambulance. Which we don't do too often. No, we don't do too often. But when Kenneth Anger died, I thought I would like to be in Kenneth Anger world for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would like to reimmerse myself in those movies. Kenneth Anger, one of the greatest underground experimental filmmakers of all time. One of those guys that talking about him today would have a, wait, he's still alive? Reaction? Not anymore, unfortunately. He was a child star in the 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 
how old he was. He died at 96 or 97. I mean, his greatest achievement, of course, was Scorpio Rising, considered the first queer film, as well as an early example of a movie that mixed modern pop music. Martin Scorsese stole everything from Kenneth Anger. I mean, that's the popular received wisdom, yes. Or at least he stole that one thing. (laughs) Yeah. So next week, Kenneth Anger, watching a bunch of his shorts. And we'll talk about Hollywood Babylon, I'm Mm -hmm. sure, a little bit. Yeah. So Uh, Also, by all accounts, a very unpleasant man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, my name is Justin McClue. I'm Will Slam. Thanks for listening. Do you like discovering new movies? Do you like watching movies with people online who love the same movies that you do? Then you need to check out the Important Cinema Club's Summer Movie Mind Melter, a 24-hour online event hosted by me, Justin Clue, that's happening this June 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Club. For more information, check out my Twitter, DeCluj, D-E-C-L-O-U-X, the letter J, and it's the first tweet pinned at the top. As per usual, I would like to thank some of our new patrons who include Charles, Country Restroom, Cat Weasel, Sunyi Previn, Chris M., Proper Spaceman, Matthew Palmer, C-Jack, Jerry Lally, and Damon Smith. Thank you very much all for becoming patrons. We could not keep doing this without you. Hey, Will, it's the event of the season. Well, the event of the week. Yes. <laughs> Fast and the Furious Saga, a film series that me and my friends have loved and that you watch out of, you know, hey, a new one's out. Let's check it out. Yeah, I would say that's fair. There are some I've liked. I've been on a bit of a downward slope with them, though. I mean, me too. Eight, not good. Nine, let's be honest, snooze fest. Yeah, nine I saw, can't remember. Well, you saw it at the drive-in, so you barely oh, saw it. I did barely see it. You saw it at the drive-in too, though, didn't you? I did, but I did watch it as well afterwards. Ah, due diligence. Yes. And then part 10, wasn't looking forward to it. Fast X. So, yes, I do think a problem with these movies and I think I'm going to disagree with you're you. You're going to disagree with me. Okay. Because I, I actually, I, I want to believe you're right. Yes. I would rather like movies than not like them. Yep. Yeah. That's what you say all the time. Yeah. And you don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. No, no. I believe you'd rather like something than dislike something. I just think that like in these movies, it's gotten so kind of cartoonish. Like cars, cars can do anything mm-hmm. in this world. Like in the one before this, the cars went into space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like in Fast Five, you remember how fun it was in Fast Five when they were dragging the safe through oh, Rio? Yeah. Super fun. And this movie opens with a scene where there's this giant bomb going through Rome and it's destroying the Spanish steps and stuff. Yeah, it looks like a Stephen Chow movie. Okay, I like that as a defense. <laughs> yes. Because well, I'm just saying I didn't feel anything. Yeah, my argument to it would be that like, people go, ha, ah, remember where it started? And I've said this many a times. I don't like that first Fast and the Furious movie. It's not fun for me. It was a huge hit. Clearly, I'm in the minority. And when you kind of accelerate these things, I understand why they need to get bigger. They're also butting heads up against a little man called Vin Diesel, who... Did you see that news story that went around recently? (laughs) So funny. So yeah, Vin Diesel... Supposedly, the rumor is the movie, you know, the movie has underperformed a little bit. The critical reception has not been strong. And he supposedly is blaming it all on Jason Momoa's overacting, which is funny because that's the best part of the movie. I think everybody agrees that Jason Momoa is the best part. I thought Jason Momoa was really fun. So much fun in this film. And the thing, I mean, Vin Diesel needs to understand and look around and go, huh, is it weird that I drove away a director that's worked with me for multiple films? that they had to get pinch hitter Louis Leterrier of such classics as the Brothers Grimsby to come in and direct. And I will say that he directs his ass off. 
He could have come and been like, all right, shoot, blah, blah, blah. But reading interviews with him, he's like, no, I wanted to go in. I knew it was going to be impossible, but I wanted to do it. I mean, good for Louis Leterrier, who, you know, was basically, you know, he'd fallen off the A-list. Well, yeah, he had been on the A-list. So Incredible Hulk, Clash of the Titans, like he had been there and then. And now, but now he clearly saw, oh, oh, great. I'm back. This is my chance. I don't, I don't know about that considering how much money it made and it's genuine reception. I also think that a movie like this, it's also running into like, this is the 10th film in the series. Okay. My other big problem with this movie is there are too many characters. Absolutely. And clearly back on the Vin Diesel thing, they do not want to work with Vin Diesel. They share one scene with Vin Diesel. All of them share one scene. And that's it. And then they're gone. And Vin Diesel is by himself or with actors that are just new to this movie. And that's it. And so you've got things like the Michelle Rodriguez, Charlize Theron strand, which is a total non-starter. You, I think the ludicrous strand. Oh, terrible. Yeah, you know. Well, the problem with a lot of the strands in this movie that is two hours and 20 minutes is that a lot of them are set up with no payoff. Like when the movie ended, I was like, what the hell is this? Right. You spend so much runway setting stuff up. You got to have a climax, which is also my problem with the new Into the Spider-Verse movie. Okay, but you know John Cena also, who I think is fun. No, oh, I love John. Cena I like John movie. Cena, but I also felt like it's a, he's doing something similar to what Jason Momoa is doing. And yes. I sort of felt like we should have had more of Mom- like it should have been Momoa and Vin basically. I disagree with you, especially John Cena's coming back. That's fine. John Cena nine, boring, terrible. He's clearly gotten an operation since then, and he's just normal John Cena. He's being funny. He's being silly. And I'm sorry, but two funny, silly guys is too much for the movie. I I think the argument would be that you'd have to cut in between like Vin and Momoa, Vin and Momoa. That's a little bit too much Vin. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) And like ludicrous stuff, deeply unfunny. So let's get a fun guy like Cena in between all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'll just say one thing about Vin Diesel, which is that he is heterosexual. And, <laughs> yes. And you can really tell. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at him and I say- The things I do for my country. That, you know that scene where he fucks all those people and return to Xander Cage? I love it. Love it. I mean, the, you- Just to get his furry coat back. You watch him in this movie and it's like, yeah, he is only radiating heterosexual vibes. I will say I was very surprised Vin Diesel- smiling in this movie, having a ball, and he continually fails in the film as well. Yeah. He's very bad at what he does, which is not the case for any other movie in the Fast Saga. Also, get fake rock out of here. Come on, (laughs) boring old fake rock. Well, you saw the news that The Rock is coming back for a spinoff that is just Hobbs. Oh, is that what he's doing? Yes. It's going to be a bridging chapter between Fast X and Fast 11. That is so funny. Yes. I cannot believe that The Rock, after shaking up the DC uh, universe, universe, changing the, ba- the balance of power, he's coming back to the Fast and Furious. Okay, so I thought he was going to be sharing the screen with Vin Diesel, and that's not the case, that he still hates Vin Diesel enough. I would, like, how bad is Vin Diesel? Like, well, what is he doing that people dislike him so much? So from what I've heard, he's always late and he's difficult. He's the Warren Beatty of our generation. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but like like people like genuinely hate working with him and that like they will not share the frame with him. You know what? Get me in a room with them. And I think I, straighten them out. I can reason with him. Oh, God, I heard some man real, to man. I got some really funny stories from someone who like knew someone that like went to Vin Diesel's uh, hotel room and that he would just like watch like Oprah videos the entire time. And he would ask another person like, I'm cool, right? I'm cool. (laughs) I mean, that's so funny. What can I say? He's a very heterosexual man. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing weird about him. We love Vin Diesel. He's great.